0: Have a seat. It's great to see all of you guys. You look amazing. It's cool to start seeing all the winter garb come out. Start seeing people wearing different things. And for me personally, it's trackjack season, track jacket season, so I've commemorated that by wearing my one of my fifteen track jackets. I've asked for another twelve for Christmas, so it should be fun. I've been wondering this week what a world would look like if you couldn't be fake. Like, what a world would look like if you always had to tell the truth. A group of girls are together. One of your friends comes in. She's just gotten a new haircut. And she's like, hey, what do you think? It's okay. You know? Actually, they cut it a little bit short and it makes your face look fat. You know, like, what if, what if all of a sudden we, we lived in a world and in a culture where you always had to tell the truth? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, Grandma, I, I'm, I appreciate that you got me this sweater from the 1970s that's two sizes too small but the reality is I'm probably never going to wear this, Grandma. You know, I know your intentions were great. A group of guys, this always comes up, because I don't know if you've noticed this about us guys, but we like to tell long, drawn-out stories for the main purpose of getting a laugh. Like, what if... What, and and, and there, there's this thing called the fake laugh, the courtesy laugh, right, that we do often. Like, what if all of a sudden in a group of guys you're telling this great story that you've dreamed up in your mind that you think is just going to be amazing, and, and you get no laugh, and at the end someone says, like, this was the biggest waste of five minutes ever, you know? Like, what if... What if no one could lie? What if we all of a sudden, just all of us had to tell the truth? Your wife's like, hey, how was dinner tonight? Um, it was burnt and crispy and tasted like poo. You know what I mean? Like what? like what if all of a sudden we couldn't mask any words? All of a sudden we had to tell the truth. What if we took it to the next step and said, what if all of a sudden... Um, People that we were talking to knew every thought that we were having. We had to wear some LED like blinking light across our chest, like you see in high school cafeterias, telling you what the menu is, you know. And uh, so you're walking up to someone that you have never met before and you say hi and they begin to rant on and you begin to go through all the checklist of judgmental things that you do when you meet someone new, and all of a sudden on your LED screen it pops up this person stinks and has bad hygiene. And they're like looking at it like, What is this? Like what is happening here, you know? What if you couldn't fake anything? What if we couldn't lie? Let's take it a step further. What if all of a sudden, like every sin that you had, you had to wear the t-shirt of the day? It's like whatever whatever sin you committed that day, you had to wear the shirt, you know? I I didn't do this today, but I thought maybe some of you had, so I just went ahead and put this on here. But what if, like each of us, had to walk around with a t-shirt of our most recent sin? Don't tell me none of you guys have ganked a couple MP3s off Kazaa or something. Don't even tell me that. Think of that world. Think of that world where you couldn't lie, where you couldn't fake, where everyone knew everything about you, where it was constantly laid bare, so much so that your thoughts, people knew, that what you heard, it had to be truthful. Your sins, everyone knew. Think about a world that was like that. Um, Think about how careful you would become, right? Because this is a pretty generous t-shirt, can we all agree? Like, like let's just do a a quick poll, a a quick mental poll. What t-shirt would you be wearing right now? See what I'm saying? And like we all did like the circle prayer. And all of us are looking around, right? Looking at the t-shirt. And I'm wondering what we would start to think about each other. Um, The reality is, is our culture and our world... I'm going to put this back on. I feel bad. I'm like, I don't want you guys to be looking at this all night. I, I, I made this on my own, by the way. I don't know if any of you guys were curious about that. But uh, this is an iron-on. I know it looks professional. I know it looks pretty hardcore, but... Just made this this afternoon on my uh, HP printer, alright? You can get your own at Walmart. The reality is is that our culture um, is riddled and built with a lot of fakes, a lot of posers, a lot of actors. Um, Mentally, we get in this state where we want to prove ourselves to this group over here, to this circle. And so because of that, there's a standard in this circle. And so we have to deceive. We have to shade the truth. We can't really be who we are because we want to fit in with this circle. And the hard thing is is that when you move to this circle, there's a whole new set of standards and a whole new set of rules. And so not only are you having to, to deceive, but you're having to deceive what you just deceived. Because to, the, to this group of people, like they need something totally different out of you. And and then there's there's this other circle. And so you're constantly just moving from circle to circle, deceiving the next because ultimately deep down you want to please every single man that comes across your way. Friends, it takes a lot of time to be a poser. It takes. Listen to this. It takes a huge time investment to be a fake. I mean, it takes so much time because you're constantly having to backtrack. You're constantly having to think in your mind, what did I say that exaggeration was? Because I don't want to mess it up. I exaggerated that number over here. I better make sure that it's accurate over here. Or I better shade my, 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 myself over here to look in a, in a perfect light. You're constantly having to backtrack, constantly having to deceive, friends. I, I, wonder, I wonder how many posers we have in here. Like we all have this, this image of you. And if all of a sudden you had to wear the shirt and the LED screen and speak what you really were feeling, what all of a sudden we'd think about you. Jesus tonight um, is going to attack the posers. And He's going to attack the fakes. And He's going to attack the actors. And maybe it will connect with you, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys are there. Maybe some of you guys feel like your life is completely disconnected because all you do is spend your entire existence faking who you are so that this person thinks that you are good and holy. Let me just begin by asking this question. Deep down, are you more concerned that Jeff, Jason, and I and your lot family leader and your parents and your girlfriend and your wife think that you are holy or good or righteous? Or are you more concerned that God sees you that way through His Son Christ? Like, like, where are you at tonight? Have you spent your existence making sure that all of these circles see you in this light that paints you perfectly? Or tonight, are you just... Are you desperately seeking how you can please Him and Him alone? Paul says this interesting thing in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says that, that if I was still trying to please men, listen to this, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so tonight, we get to deal with the fakes and the posers and the actors, maybe you and me. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. This should be fun despite it being difficult. Um, jesus is going to go up against a group called the pharisees and i want to paint your attention to something first Uh, cue the map yes yes i also made this well not every bit of it but i added the circles um you can buy those at walmart too um jesus spent the first part of his ministry in the blue circle the sea of galilee he was born around there his adopted hometown was there he did many of His first miracles around the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place, lovely. But then something happens. Jesus all of a sudden beelines to the red circle, to Jerusalem. All of a sudden, we've seen a shift in the last couple chapters from the focus of Jesus' ministry around the Sea of Galilee to all of a sudden He focuses all of His attention to heading to Jerusalem. Nothing will get in the way of that. Why? Because it is in Jerusalem that He will die. It is in Jerusalem that he must go so that he can be crucified, so that he can raise from the dead, and so that he can redeem his people. You see this? He never looks back. He heads from blue to red, and his eyes the entire time are focused on the call and the obedience of the Father, friends. And so what happens is there has to be a group of people in Jerusalem powerful enough to kill him. And it just so happens that there is a group of people there. We call them the Pharisees. They are this group of people that have all of these man-made laws, but not just man-made laws. They follow the Mosaic law meticulously. And we're going to see some of those meticulousnessisms later today. But they are just so focused on the, on the rigid aspect of the law. And I need you to understand that what's, going to, like what's happening is Jesus is not there. In fact, His teachings and in His message goes like almost completely against the thought of the Pharisees. So if you have this group of people that have elevated themselves to this exalted place, in fact, the Pharisees, friends, thought that the Messiah was coming for them. Like they were waiting on the Messiah because the Messiah was going to come to save all the Pharisees and all of their people that followed their particular laws and rules perfectly and that anyone else was left out. But what happens if Jesus all of a sudden comes and says, what you guys believe is completely bunk. Like everything that your foundation is set on is not my message. And that's what's happening. And so tonight we get to see a whole lot of controversy. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, this is connecting uh, two weeks ago with this week. Again, He was teaching to a large crowd, talking about how the eyes are the lamp of the body. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited Him to eat with Him. And so he went in and reclined at the table. Like, don't you think, because Jesus already um, went up against some Pharisees, don't you think this is an interesting invitation? Like, he's trying to trap Jesus probably here, but he invites him to dinner. If you want to get into an intimate setting, that's what you do. You invite people to dinner. So I'm going to creatively entitle this message... um, Invite me to dinner and please, like, just smack me around a couple times because that's what's going to happen here, you know? Come in my house, I'm going to feed you, and then you're going to smack me in the face a few times, Jesus. Perfect, verse 38. But the Pharisee, notice, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. The better Greek word for surprise is amazed here. Uh, some of you guys would be a little bit attuned to this as well. You see someone go to the bathroom and they come out and you know that they didn't wash your hands. You're like, ooh, this is a little bit disgusting here. This isn't like. The Pharisee was sitting back and saying, Jesus didn't use the antibacterial lotion. You know, like, what are we going to do? You know, someone pass him some pharisaical antibacterial lotion. That's not the case here. Mark chapter 7 gives us a little bit of more of an inclination into what's happening here. And the Pharisees created this man-made ritual of washing the hands before a meal. And it was really rigid and hardcore. And Jesus doesn't do that. And In Mark chapter 7, the disciples didn't either. What's interesting, at the, at the end of that confrontation in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and he says, you have completely held on to man-made rules and laws and left and left my law and left who I am. And so like, what, what, what the Pharisees is surprised at is that Jesus didn't go through this pharisaical hand-washing ritual. So can you already like feel the music building underneath this controversy? Because the Pharisees think this is right. And Jesus is like, I don't need to wash my hands. Right? And He tells us why. Look at this in verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, <laughs> Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Now, we don't know whether the Pharisee like, uh, like talked his, his amazement or his surprise. And we've seen Jesus already read some people's minds and actually like, go against that. But... Don't you love this? Because he starts out with an, ana- with an analogy. He's like, you, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but you are full of wickedness, right? Don't you love that? He starts out with this whole like dish analogy, and then he just completely leaves the analogy. He's like, actually, that's not necessary. You're nasty, you know? The dish is bad. You're nasty. I'm, I'm really big. Um, anyone else like to separate your food? Yeah. I, my food cannot touch each other, period, man. Especially liquids and solids. All right? If any of my liquid food touches my solid food, no dice. I'm sending that sucker back. You know what I mean? I need clear crystal separation. Well, listen to this. This is amazing. At my house a couple of weeks ago, Heidi's had this, this, these like nacho cheese platters that I just found, and they've been in our cupboard for a couple of years. And and that's the hardest thing, right? Jay Z and I go out and we get nachos all the time. He is a complete smotherer, man. He wants cheese and everything on that, and I, I'm I'm always like like we're we're battling against who gets to order the nachos because I'm always like, can you put the cheese on the side, you know? He's like, come on, dude, just throw it on there, you know? And so like nacho cheese is the hardest because it like gets in on your chips and makes your chips soggy, at least in my opinion. But all of a sudden like I find this this little nacho like platter. And I, I go to Heidi, I'm like, where has this been, you know? Like, this is amazing. And I'm so excited. I've used it literally 10 times in the last two weeks. And so I'll go in and I'll get the queso in and I'll pour it in and, and it just gets perfect. I've noticed one thing about nacho cheese. Uh, when you put this little platter in the microwave is that it crusts all along the edge really quick. If you guys, yeah. You know this? Especially, I like things really crispy and burnt, okay? Many of you guys know that about me. And uh, so I leave it in the microwave a couple extra minutes, right? And uh, so for me... It just gets really, like around the outside and around the edges, it's just it's just crusty and nasty. What Jesus is saying is, is you're as ignorant as taking this crusted, rotted nacho cheese dish and cleaning the outside and then presenting it and saying, "So what do you think about me now?" When all of this nasty, curded, hard, black. Nacho cheese is corroding this dish. He's, he calls it ignorance. He's like, you clean the outside, but in, inwardly, you're, you're not just a little bit, but you're full of greed and wickedness. See, what Jesus says, listen to this, is you cannot separate the inward and the outward. You can't do it. It's a, like you can't separate it. Why? Because He sees right through. Psalm chapter 51 And over and over, the psalmist says, like, search me and know my inmost being. And in Psalm chapter 51, the psalmist is writing about knowing the inmost secrets. Like Jesus says, and let's continue on. Look at this verse. uh, Verse 40. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Like, are you so ignorant to think that somehow there was a different person who made the inside and the outside? No, it was the same Creator. So you are ignorant to think that somehow you can differentiate what you are on the inside and the picture that you portray to people on the outside. It's impossible, Jesus says. Why? Because He sees the heart. And so there's no confusion there. He says, like, you can, you can clean the outside of that dish all you want, but the reality is, is I, see, I see right through you. I know your motives. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're struggling with. I know the private sins that you've never told anyone about. I know all of that. And just when you think that I didn't know about that, I know that too. And just when you thought that I couldn't read your mind and know your thoughts, guess what? I know every one of your thoughts. And so imagine yourself sitting at the dinner table with Jesus and He's just called you wicked and foolish. Right? Like this dinner is just getting great, right? He's like, can you pass the chicken? You know, like, what are we going to do here? You know, this is, I don't even know if that's kosher, but um, verse 41, some of you get that later, but give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Over and over in scripture, we see that Jesus' message is directed to the outcasts. He's already alluded to the fact that the Pharisees are full of what? Greed. And wickedness. So there's this idea that they hoard and that they bring to themselves. But they're supposed to be the religious ones. They're supposed to be the ones that have this God idea all figured out. And Jesus is saying, like, what's inside of you is completely different than the outside. And in my eyes, you can't separate that. So give what's inside to the poor, and then miraculously, you'll see that the outside will go with it. Because when the inside changes, the outside changes and not vice versa. So he says, give it to the poor. Friends, don't you love that? Listen to this. Is it possible that we become so consumed with religion, that we become so consumed with our fake facade, actress Christianity that we forget about people? Is it possible that we become so consumed with the pursuit of raising our name in all of these different people circles that we are just like the Pharisees and forget about the hurting and the lost and the confused. Jesus says, give what is inside the dish to the poor and then guess what? Then the outside will be clean too. I, I don't, I don't um, for a second think that that is a huge struggle in this church. And I want to be—I want to be honest with you guys. I feel like a lot of times that we can, from a teaching standpoint, like we can just hit and hit, and you know, I feel like sometimes there's just a time for encouragement as well, amen. And so I just want to encourage you guys. Um, Jeff, Jason, and I just talk about all the time how much this body is seeking after loving people. And and I I know, and, and just speaking on on all on all of us behalf, just that guys like we're we're so thankful to have so many people who desire to put the love of God and the love of people ahead of everything else. And I'm not saying that we're perfect or that. We have it all together. Don't mishear me. But I feel like sometimes there's a moment for us just to encourage one another. Amen? And I feel like that God's given us a clear mission. And I feel like, friends, that a lot of the time we're going after it. There's areas in your life right now that you're struggling with that and that you're seeing different motives or different understandings. But I just want to encourage you as a body tonight and say that I feel like we're going after it. But you know what? Jay-Z and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Love's a battle. And it is a daily battle. And we must keep fighting, right? Because don't, aren't you with me in believing that love's the right battle and the right war? Come on. So let's keep fighting that battle. Let's keep fighting that war, believing that it's right where we should be. And then Jesus, um, this one, like the Pharisee, has taken another bite. He gets another like left hand to the cheek, you know? Woe to you, in Jesus' way, you know, in the nice, caring, loving way. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. This is kind of humorous. He's like, You're so good at tithing, you give a tenth of your herbs. You know what I mean? Like, at the, you, you, you get all the way down to giving a 10% of all of your little spice racks. It'd be like me taking a can of Mountain Dew, slicing off a tenth of it, and throwing it in the joy box, you know? Even all the other checks would get a little damp. I mean, it's, like, that's, that's what he's saying here. Like, you go so far as to tithe your herbs, which to you seems hardcore. You think that giving a tenth of your herbs, like that, that's what makes a strong Christian. Can't you see this, Jesus? I mean, I'm giving a tenth of everything. I'm cutting my herbs in a tenth, which has to take some time, you know? Especially without the little exacto knives back then, you know? That had to be a little bit of a hard task. And Jesus is saying, um, yeah, actually, like you've neglected the justice and love of God. And then he goes on to say, look at this. He goes on to say, um, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So he's not diminishing the giving of resources. But what he's saying is, is that the giving of resources will come out of a pure motive of a deep love for God. Seeing the need for the hurting, the lost and the confused. A justice, I was looking it up. I think a lot of times when we think of justice instantly, we think of some, like Judge Judy Brown or whatever. Is that her name? None of you watch TV? Good. Good. Glad we're not faking. Um, and um, so there's all like when we think of justice, I think that sometimes we think instantly of just of like our justice system. When I was looking up the definition of justice and looking through scripture at different mentions of justice, it's it's giving to a particular culture, like based upon the need, that can either be a penalty or a reward. And in Jesus, what we constantly see is this push for the poor and the widows. Listen to this. For the people that can't fend for themselves. And I just I want to bring your focus into the justice of God for a second as a reminder of your case. You were once someone who couldn't fend for yourself. And Jesus, as the great example, showed us what it looked like to be a just God. By saving those who will be His redeemed By dying for those same people, by dying for the people that couldn't fend for themselves, none of us can fend for ourselves. And his great example, friends, shows us what it looks like to fight and to bleed and to care for those who cannot fend for themselves. The widows, the hurting, the confused, the poor, the needy. Friends, like I want to continue to see a great push in our lot families, in this church, for resources that are just being sent out among the poor. For dollars, and, and mattresses, and cars, and things that are just spreading out, giving resources to the poor. The reality is, friends, is that you view your resources as yours. And so because of that, you pack your budget so tight with things that please your desires that at the end of the month, there's no money left. There's no resources left. There's no time left to be able to pass out and give out. Do you see this as a cultural problem? I mean, we buy bigger houses than we can afford. We spend our resources more than we can afford. We take the credit card out and just slice and dice and slice and dice. And then at the end of the day, we have an opportunity to be obedient, to love. One of these widows are hurting and the lost the confused. And we have no resources left. Jesus says, when you love God, it will mean that you understand my justice. And that will lead to giving a tithe. In the Old Testament, it's 10%. Paul focuses more on a joyful giver. But that will all of a sudden come out of this great love of God. And not, well, here you go, God. Like here, take what's yours. Now, what do you think of me? Am I cool now? Am I righteous now? He's saying that I only make you righteous. And that that stuff that you think is yours is mine. Come on. And so all of a sudden, when you begin to see it that way, you don't overspend and overbuy. Because deep down, your heart is to free up resources so that it can be sent out so that it be given to the church. And this is another example, and I want to bring us back. You know, Jason did an awesome analogy with Cheerios. You guys remember that? How many Cheerios was that? Like a billion? I mean, it was like crazy. He went to Sam's and like, what is like, you guys having some Cheerios convention? You know, like what's happening? In this church, I want you guys to know that when you give dollars in the joy box, joy box, horrible. And when you give dollars, it's really joyful, isn't it? Like, man, you guys are fired up about this when you give money to the joy box, that we are really focused on praying over and giving a large percentage of that budget and those dollars to helping those who Jesus is talking about right here. And so I want you to know that and be confident in that and continue to pray that as a church we will continue to go after that because it's a battle. Just when you thought that uh, this was over, it's not. Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees! because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Like, this dinner has got to be interesting. Can you imagine this? This Pharisee sitting across the table is just like, <laughs> just taking left and right. That's only funny to me, I guess. But, but this is just a battle, right? And what Jesus says now is, like, and, and I'm not bugging on those of you sitting in the front row, because but what he's saying is, is you want this seat, the sole purpose of like, all right, Jesus, like, look at me, here I am. And I'm the first to worship and I'm the first to go after it. And I'm the, like, you want the best seat so that everyone can see you. Quick question. Have you ever prayed in a group of people being more interested in what they thought about your prayer than what you were praying to or who you were praying to? Have you ever, um, raised your hands in worship because ultimately you desire for people to think that you're some hardcore worshiper? Have you ever struggled with performing so that people around that, like, oh, that is what a good Christian looks like. That's what they do. Jesus says you want the best seats um, so that it can bring yourself more glory and that it exalts yourself. Friends, like, what if um, all of those same things happened in all of us, but just with a great desire and pure heart to worship the King of the... Like, we just couldn't get enough. Of course we wanted to sit in front. Why? Because we, like, we just wanted to join with our brothers and sisters to worship God. Like We, we just wanted to be so close together and, and be together. We just wanted to, to cry out. We just wanted to pray. We weren't worried about who was listening. Because ultimately, if we were to be honest, let's flip this, shall we? Ultimately, some of you don't pray out loud because you're worried about the exact same thing about some of those who do pray. Or some of you, friends, aren't experiencing the freedom of worship, and I'm not just talking about raising your hands, because that is not an indication, that is not the only indication of some free worship, but some of you are you're afraid because of of what people will think. It's like all of a sudden you're feeling this this deep desire to put your hands in the air. And the analogy I always use is a kid in the elevator, two years old, a little bit scared of the elevator raising their hands to Daddy's side and saying, like, I need you, Daddy. And so for me in worship, like a lot of times that's why I raise my hands. It's the, it's the exaltation of, I need you, Daddy. Please pick me up. Please hold me. Like some of you guys are afraid just to express that because of what people will think about you. Who cares? Like this is our entire problem. This is what Jesus is fighting against. The posers, the actors, and the fakers. He says, I see right through you. I know every motive. I know why you're raising your hands. I know why you're praying out loud. I know why you're teaching loudly. All of those things. Just when you think it's done, it's not. In fact, here's what's great about this teaching, is Jason will be picking up part two next week. So we get to leave here and know that there's three more loaves coming. You know what I mean? Like this dinner isn't done. You know, dessert's still coming next week which I love. Verse 44. Woe to you, and this, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. Jesus says you're killing people. That's what he says. Let me explain. Um, in Jewish culture, Numbers 19 would say that it was ceremonially unclean to touch a corpse or to touch a grave. Matthew 23 calls these same graves whitewashed graves. So what they would do if there was a grave like like is on your bulletin that was on the ground, you would whitewash them so people could see, oh, that's a tomb. What Jesus is saying, what he's saying to this Pharisee, is you're like one of those unmarked graves that people can't tell and they walk on it. And essentially what it does is it makes them ceremonially unclean. You're like a bunch of unwashed, like unmarked graves that people are walking over. You're pulling people in to your religion, to your bad teaching, to your actordom, and and, and they don't even know it. You're killing people. People are are being uh, drawn away from the message of what they really should be drawn to because you are deceiving people, because you are saying that this is the message of Christ when it's not at all. If you guys Pharisees at all, The reality is at the beginning of tonight I said that uh, wouldn't it be crazy if we all lived in a culture that couldn't lie where you couldn't fake anything where when you're in your groups like people really had to tell the truth. So what would you think of that? Well, it was not too good, you know. The reality is, is that we are. We are. We're in a culture and in a world where we can fake, where we can't fake anything. He sees right through you. He knows every motive. And so like in your mind, you're thinking like, yeah, that would be a crazy culture if like we could never lie. You can't. You can't. The thoughts that would be on the LED screen, they're there and He knows them. The sins that would be worn on the t-shirt, they're there and He knows them. The vocalization of truth, sometimes sinful is there, and He knows them. Think about the amount of time that you're spending, the amount of time that you're investing in being one of these poser, actor, Pharisees. Think of the the investment that you're making, the emails that you're sending, the text messages that you're sending out. trying in your mind to make sure that all of these people see you in this light. And when you've accomplished that, then you walk away and you're like, yes, another person whom I've brought over to my side. And all the while, it's deceit, exaggeration, stories blown out of proportion, sins that aren't dealt with. Friends, what if all of a sudden, the Christian church stopped acting Stopped being actors and started to be messengers. What if all of a sudden we realized that we live in a world where we cannot fake, where we cannot pose, where we're all wearing the shirt. Listen to this. The reality is, is if we were to go around right now and each of us were to share the things that we struggle with today, all of us would look at each other a little bit differently, wouldn't we? Be like, man, Really? That's your deal? Hold on a second. Like, could you say that again? You did that today? Like, I can't believe that you would gossip like that. I would imagine that because we're not in close accountability or because we're not able to see people through the eyes of Christ, that many of our relationships here, if we knew all that, would diminish, unfortunately. Here's the amazing thing, friends. is Christ despite knowing every single one of those things still died when we were yet sinners Christ died for us he knew every motive every selfish desire every thought on an LED screen every sin on a t-shirt we would like kick people to the curb and he still died He's not calling us to be fakers. He's not calling us to pose. He's not calling us to be an actor of a script that we've perceived in our mind, that we've written, that will paint us in the best picture. What He's calling us to is a life of humility that is seeking after, pleasing Him and Him alone. Because like Paul said, if I was still serving men, there's no way that I, if I was still trying to please men, there's no way that I could be a servant of Christ. Put Hebrews up there for me, Andrew. One of the most famous scriptures that we talk about, about the Word of God. We kind of stop in between it. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. Friends, my prayer is that the Word of God may continue, friends, to judge the attitudes and motives and reality of our hearts so that the world stops seeing Christian actors and begins to see Christian messengers that are saying, you know what? I do struggle with some things and I do have some issues in my life. But, but let me tell you something. My God knew all of them and He still died for me. He knew every one of them. And then, maybe the world would start getting an accurate picture of Christ. Maybe they would stop seeing posers and actors who imagine like they have it all together and are constantly wearing the smiley face. And all of a sudden, the world looked in and said, wait, 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 what did you say? Yes, I have a whole lot of junk just like you. And guess what? Despite knowing it, He still died. That's my God. That's the God I'm serving. And that's the God I want to paint to everyone. I'm nasty, screwed up, completely depraved. I'll screw up everything, but He is Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, some of us in this room need accountability right now, some of us in this room need a person and an outlet that we can share some of these things that we've been faking some of the ways that we've been posing. I pray that you'll provide people in this room tonight with accountability in their life that we can confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. God, but I pray right now that we will be honest with you with the things that we're struggling with. That we think that we can lie to you, God. I pray right now that this room takes some moments and some seconds to spend some time confessing the things that you already know, revealing the motives and attitudes of our heart. God, I pray that Matthias's lot will not be a church that can put on a great drama show. I pray that this church will be a body of people who are committed to being messengers of the greatest movement ever and not a group of posers. God, reveal the attitudes and motives of our heart right now in these moments and remind us of your sacrifice.